Welcome to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, beauty, travel, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. Only you know what your body needs. Let this be the reminder that you have the power to tap in and know the food, self-care, and spiritual practices that will best serve you. I will be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can feel your best and live your dreams. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the High Vibration Living Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. And I'm really excited for you guys to tune into this episode today with Trisha Carr because we are exploring topics and conversations that we haven't yet explored here on the podcast. Trisha is a transpersonal hypnotherapist, empathic channel, intuitive and eco-spiritual teacher. She's an animal communicator, and that's a topic that we haven't dived into here on the podcast because your connection with your animals is a part of a healthy life. A lot of people have pets, dogs, cats, horses, all different types of pets you can have these days, and your connection with them affects and can improve your health. And then being able to tap into what they need food-wise, water-wise, anything that comes up along their life Being able to better tune in can lengthen their life, improve your connection with them, save you money when it comes to going to the vet, all those things. So I'm excited for you guys to tune in, get some tips from Trisha, learn more about her courses if this is something that you want to explore. We also dive into hypnotherapy. We haven't talked about that yet on the podcast, and that is an incredible healing tool, and we talk about you know, how quickly you can heal from hypnotherapy versus how long it takes for many people to heal when they go to a more traditional talk therapy. So those statistics are really interesting. Trisha holds a bachelor's degree in spiritual healing, a degree in clinical therapy or clinical hypnotherapy, and is an ordained metaphysical minister. In 2023, at the end of this year, Trisha will complete her degree in mind-body psychology with HMI College of Hypnotherapy. So without any further ado, we'll just jump into the show. Enjoy. Hi, Trisha. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you again. We already had a nice, good chat on mine, and (laughs) now we're doing yours. Thank you for having me. Thank you, because I'm really excited to tune in and learn more about animal communication and hypnotherapy. Because when I was on your show, you were sharing a little a little testimony from one of your students who had an experience with their dog and not eating and not drinking anymore. Would you mind sharing that with our audience? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I have so many. But that one is from actually a st- someone who just graduated from my animal communication certification course. I just love doing it because... I'll just share with you, too, this this person, she's allowed me to share her experience. I've even blasted it out on social media. She's super excited about it. She is, she's um, 
been doing intuitive work for a little while because I've trained her in all of those other things too. And so, you know, she's a, she's a mature person. She's not like 20, you know what I mean? <laughs> the reason I, I frame it that way is because before she took the animal communication course, she didn't know that she could telepathically communicate with animals. So that's one thing when I share the story, I want people to know that even if you, you, you're like, I have never experienced that. So it must not be something I have. No, we, we do. Yes. We just need the framework for it. You know what I mean? Like to, and I was just telling my husband that this morning, I was like, if I had you join one of my classes and just, I'll give you instructions on how to do it, you'll blow your own mind. <laughs> so anyway, um, so what happened with this student, she, uh, her, her dog, she calls it her dog, but he lives with her daughter in another state. So she's like, my dog doesn't live with me, lives with my daughter. Um, the dog had stopped drinking and also stopped eating, which, of course, as a chef and, you know, knowing so much about nutrition, if you're dehydrated, it can affect your gut, it can affect your, um, you know, your appetite. And so, like, both of these things have started to happen. And so, of course, they were making a doctor's appointment. They're going to take the dog to the vet. But since uh, my student, her name is Betty, had just graduated from certain animal communication course, her daughter's like, Mom, can you, can you do your thing? Can you see if you know what's going on with him? And so she did. She and, you know, animal telepathy works remotely. It doesn't have to be in person. I mean, just obviously it's it's all just it's all just etheric energy. It's it's a, it's just the thought and feeling energy. So some people are surprised by that. Like you don't have to be in person or in dog <laughs> to be able to communicate telepathically with a dog. And so she did. She tapped in and and the dog She's like, ask the dog, you know, how come you're not drinking or eating? And the, the dog told her, I don't like the way that water tastes. I don't, I don't know what's going on with that water. And so my Betty like reached out, you know, called her daughter and she's like, what are you giving him for water? And they're like, just the tap, just the tap water. And she's like, okay, no. First of all, clean that bowl really, really well. And then you need to get him bottled water. I, you, I know some people think that's fancy for dogs, but he needs bottled water. He went right to that bowl, lapped up the water right away, and it stimulated his appetite. He got all hydrated. He ate right away, too. So they didn't even have to go to the vet. He was perfectly fine. He just, you know, he has a sensitivity. I mean, anyway, we know tap water, tap water in my area, it actually smells of bleach. And you know what I mean? Like it doesn't smell right. And they have even stronger senses than we do. So he just wasn't, he wasn't sure about it. He wasn't comfortable drinking that water. And it just started to cascade through what would have been a lot of health issues. Can you imagine? He would yeah. have gone to the vet, run tests, hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands. Nothing's wrong with him. We don't know. We'll give him steroids. We'll give him antibiotics. We'll give him whatever. And it was just because the water didn't taste slash smell good to him. And it was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. What do you often get people that reach out to you because dogs or any pet doesn't want to eat anymore? Hmm. No, actually not a lot. It usually has to, but when it does happen... It does have to do with, with like, uh, maybe they're ill. And one thing, and when I connect on that, in that area, a lot of times it's not actually a terrible sign. They have some kind of illness. And as we know as humans, we know that fasting can be medicine. It can be, mm -hmm. it can reset our gut. Even though it's alarming to us, sometimes it's actually just the intelligence of the organism, of, of the animal's body, doing what it needs to do to, you know, overcome something. On the other hand, there are, like, cats can tend to be a bit finicky. That's something that happens. And 
And that usually has to do with needing more stimulation because if they were in nature, if they were getting their own food, you know, and our bodies evolve very slowly, mammals' bodies evolve very slowly. And even though they are domesticated biologically, mm -hmm. they still function very much like their wild ancestry. And, um, you know, if they were eating rodents, they wouldn't eat the same rodent every day. And that the rodents that they eat would eat different things than the other rodent ate yesterday. You know what I mean? So yes. there's, and cats actually need, they need to, they need to have the charge, like they need to have the fight and flight system activated so they can boost the enzymes that will actually break down food. So yes. playing with your cat before you feed them can help so that they don't, you know, get finicky about the same old, same old. <laughs> So a lot, yeah. of, a lot of different things that I are going on. I think people forget that that happens for them too. So when you start preparing your meal, that's starting the digestive process in you, whether you're looking at the food, yes. touching the food, smelling the food as it heats up, that's all starting the digestive process for us too. Um, so that's so interesting that that's yeah. so really important for cats that they need to play with their food before they start eating it. And maybe mm -hmm. that's a sign of what, you know, that's what most kids and babies do. They have to play with it first before they eat it. Because maybe at some intuitive yeah. level, they know that that's what they need to do to get their new digestive system on track. Yes, yes. It's that's so true. I mean, we have so much more in common, especially from different species of mammals than we have, you know, out, not in common, including, by the way, the reason we can communicate telepathically with animals with so much, uh, you know, with so much robust languaging and everything is because we have we all all the mammals have a part of the brain called the mammalian brain, which is the emotional brain. And so we have, I mean, just talking about mammals, I could talk about like different parts of the brain that birds have that are similar to ours too. But just with mammals, we have the same spectrum of emotions. And so that's what's being, that's what's being sent is, is emotional experiences that, you know, show up as thoughts and pictures and all kinds of things. So it makes perfect sense if you think about it that way. We have the exact same spectrum of emotional languaging or communication or experiencing. That's why we can that's why we can telepathically communicate with animals to that degree. So with some people, does animal communication come before regular traditional medianship or vice versa? What do you usually see? Well, most people go for mediumship or intuitive reading before animal communication. I, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's not as well known. Like you said, you haven't really talked to someone who's an animal communicator. But for me, that was the first thing that I opened up. Yeah. <laughs> it was um, it, it was like the thing as I was going through my spiritual awakening process, it was the first thing that made itself known. And, you know, like when I came out, as we say, come out of the closet, out of the out of the broom closet yes. <laughs> to my family, um, they were like, duh, <laughs> this is not a surprise, you know. Yeah. So I actually started I opened up animal communication first. And then uh, while I was a little bit into that process, I went to one class one day to a, a person who teaches mediumship. And she just, you know, kind of took one look at me and said, well, you're a medium. And I was like, oh, and this was a funny. This is where I was. I was like, I don't even know if I believe in that. <laughs> She's like, I can talk to animals. Hold on, hold on. I don't know if I believe in talking to like ghosts and dead people and, you know. Exactly. She, the way she said it, she's like, oh, hold on, hold on. You said you're practicing animal communication. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, have you been talking to past animals? And I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, okay, so you're a human. <laughs> you can talk to past humans too. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, but I would say, I don't know for, I don't know why I'd have to give it a con, you know, contemplation, but it's probably for some reason, it's not quite as well known or, you know, or maybe there aren't as many yeah. teachers. of. I really don't know why. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. You know what's been really interesting? As a chef who works in people's homes, I often see, you know, dead animals. I often see animal ghosts. So, you know, yeah, I have a lot of clients who have pets, but I also have clients that don't have pets. And when I'm in their home, I'll see a cat or a dog consistently over and over and over again. And if I feel like that client's open to them, I'll ask them. I was like, I see this you know, like, do you guys have like a ghost cat? And sometimes the client will know about it because they've seen it before too. Um, have you had that experience where anyone's called you because they see a ghost in their home, but it's an animal? Um, I, I've i seen them in other people's houses, but I have to be honest, specifically, no. It will be people, you know, wanting to, I do animal mediumship as well as animal communication with, you know, the actual incarnated animal, but people wanting to make that connection. And it's just very the same way that, you know, but I don't have it to where if we're like there is an earthbound cat or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do have past animals in two ways, like it being a ghost in the sense that it's a past animal who hasn't crossed over yet. Mm-hmm. I've had them come to me a lot. And some of the reasons that they do come to me is because they want a little comfort in that brief moment before they they cross over. It's like they see the light that has to do with that understanding and that awareness. Um, and then one time... My my cat Barnabas was napping under the coffee table, and suddenly he went like boom and hit his hit his body or his head at the top of the coffee table and ran out. And I was like, "Whoa, what happened?" You know, as and he like showed me. He goes, "Oh, well, I was sleeping, but then I was kind of awake, and there was like, and he showed me a picture. It looked like a big rodent, like um, raccoon or um, or a possum. I think it was a raccoon, and it was like in my face, and it was all mad." He goes, but because I was asleep for a second, I thought it was a, a physical one, but it wasn't. He went away. It was a ghost. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I reached out to this crossing over rodent. And the rodent said, I just got hit by a car. And I didn't know for a second that I was dead. And I just wound up at your house because, again, because of the light and the love and the, the connection. And so so I moved on. You know, I've moved on. But I just kind of, like, showed up there for a second when I realized I was actually dead. Um, <laughs> Lots so of interesting sad. stories. Mm-hmm. Is there something? Yeah. That, yeah, but he was fine with it. Is there something that we can do when we see a poor animal on the side of the road that's been hit? Is there something that we can emotionally or quietly say to ourselves or to that animal as we're driving by? Yeah, I I actually, I kind of make amends on behalf of humanity. I apologize that we have machines that are so unnatural that they, you know, they didn't really understand how to navigate this this technology, you know, why, why should they be able to? And so I just kind of make amends and, and, um, you know, ask for, ask for forgiveness and ask, then I just kind of pray and say, please help to make me a more resourceful and aware guardian and steward of nature and of animals and of, you know, and help me to spread that 
understanding, awareness, and responsibility to, you know, m my fellow humans. And I, yeah, I just try to come really present with the collective. I'm a part of this collective, you know. Uh, I'm a, I drive car. I drive a car. So um, thank God I have never had that. I've never collided with an animal. But um, yeah, it's uh, that's what I do just to help me to get into the get mindful of the situation. And prayer works. Prayer is an energy healing and, you know, amends and atonement work. They're a part of our spiritual growth process. So, yeah, that's what I do. Thank you for sharing. Well, hopefully we don't mm. see anything in our travels anytime soon. Um, but on mm. a little more positive note, are there any... Are there any general questions that you find your clients who reach out to you to do one-on-one -on -one readings with their pets? Any general questions that they always ask? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they always ask, like, um, how can I make you happy? Are mm -hmm. you happy? How can I make you, you know, more comfortable? Is there anything, you know, just that that wonder, just that wonderful heart of guardianship of, you know, loving someone so deeply those are the most common questions and other than that they're all they are a bit random I mean they do uh, whether they ask or not I do ask how is your food how is your water yeah. you know if they how is their bathroom situation how is their physical activity situation and the, that's often that's like a I would say a secondary common you know but it's always are they happy? How can I help them to be happy? <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> Are there general things that you find that most pets during this time would like more of to make their lives a little more comfortable or happier? See, the thing is, it's interesting is it feels like a very um, transcendent experience, and it is. But However, I should say that, that I, I do direct communication with the animal first, meaning I connect with the incarnated personality of the animal, which includes, you know, a higher, I think they're spiritually more advanced than we are. But it's important to know that if I ask them, what food do you like? And a doggy says, I want all the bacon and the peanut butter, that <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a kid asking for Twinkies. Yeah. So that's one thing that's important for me. To, but I also contextualize it. How does your food feel when... In how does your body feel in response to your food? How does it feel in your body? Because they'll be honest about that. This makes my tummy hurt. It tastes good, but it makes my tummy hurt. Or yeah. I don't like the way this tastes, you know. So I ask nuanced questions to get to the heart of what it is we, we need to know to be able to support them. And, um, yeah, so I, I forgot exactly what the question was, but th those are the kinds of, those are the kinds of, you know, critical ways I need to present what it is. And, uh, but I can also talk to their higher selves. But the reason I do direct communication is because if you imagine you have a friend or a partner, your partner, and you need to communicate with them face to face. You know what I mean? Like we can't just be pulling our oracle cards to say, what is he thinking? <laughs> that wouldn't be respectful. <laughs> so that's what I intend to do, even if, and so that's what that, what that leads us to is hilarity because they are they are at, they have senses of humor. Everything that makes you laugh about your animal, they wow. intend to do that and even more. They have, they love for us to be laughing. They love for us to, so, oh, yeah, what do they want more of? That's some of it. They want us to be, they want us to lighten up. They want us to accept ourselves. They want us to laugh and be happy. When we ask them, how can I make you happy? They're like, be happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, very much mm -hmm. like you're talking to kids. 
is yes. when when you are happy and calm and in a good place, that's all they want for their parents. Absolutely. And it makes perfect sense because I know sometimes people who aren't really animal people and they poke fun at people who call their animals their their children. But mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense why we do that. We are their physical guardians. Mm-hmm. It's like they are our spiritual guardians because animals surpass us spiritually. They just do. When they become mature, you know, when they're babies, they're babies. Just you know, They have a, a stage of an arc of development, of personal development. But when they reach personal maturity... They surpass us spiritually. I mean, we know they're better at unconditional love than we are. And so, but we are always their physical guardians. And that's why there is this really beautiful dynamic. There are spiritual guardians and we're their physical guardians. So, of course, it feels like a parent-child relationship in a lot of ways. And so, yes, they are dependent on our happiness. They are Mm -hmm. relationally dependent on us. We give them their food, their activity, their medicine. You know, we we keep them healthy physically. So they are dependent on us, similarly to children. And they are, I mean, more advanced than us emotionally and spiritually. So, of course, they just want us to be happy because that will make their lives, (laughs) the family, happier, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people these days are rescuing animals, rescuing dogs from a shelter or dogs that have been on the streets, cats, even guinea pigs. Do these animals know that they've been rescued? Oh, they're so happy. And you can see videos of it. I was just, I saw a video on um, probably Instagram where this woman, there was a tiny chihuahua who was walking up to her, crying, like screaming, and terrified and was cowering but as the woman was just able to give her a touch she melted into her arms and was all kisses and lovies and was so I mean I could I can hear it you know as in a manner of speaking her saying finally I'm home finally I'm home and that's what it feels like in the love of their human you know their new human their home and That's so yes, they know that they're being rescued from this cruel world. They are dogs and cats, for example, are biologically domesticated. We interfered upon their species development. So they, uh, a homeless dog is like a homeless human. They need shelter. They, they are biologically altered to have a domestic life. So live, I mean, maybe there's some feral, semi-feral situations where they're still cared for, like barn cats and stuff like that. That can be a situation where they actually live um, uh, uh, somewhere in between feral and domestic. I mean, like a, yes. a happily feral domesticated animal. If they're cared for and they have a barn, they can sleep in and stuff. So, But yes, they absolutely are waiting rescue they're waiting for home to find Mm -hmm. them and it's our it's what we have created that both by interfering on their species if we're talking about the domesticated ones and by the different things like roads and pollution and everything that makes it feel like they aren't in any situation that is home it's because of what we've actually created so yeah for sure they know they feel it when they come home So what's the most unexpected animals you've been asked to communicate with or you've chosen to communicate with yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, one of my earlier in my early part of my practice before I was a professional, I communicated with a tortoise who was in hibernation. (laughs) And that was, yeah, that was when it was actually a fellow um, psychic development. She was she was learning mediumship. I was, you know, in animal communication. So we were trading practices. Yeah. And uh, she's like, well, yeah. And so she was like, 
well, you know, she had like a cat and some birds. And she's like, well, I have a tortoise too, but he's hibernating. Can you talk to a hibernating tortoise? And I'm like, let's try it out. I have no idea. (laughs) And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've had with an animal. And, you know, when I first tapped in, he was like, of course, this is a good time to talk to me. This is when I do my soul work. And described to me that he like astral travels, he goes to different like dimensions, but then he also goes into his body so he can experience deep, silent rest. And it's just like such a wonderful time. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I've also communicated with um, a a, a beta fish, you know, those fish that are, yeah. And the singular fish that most people have in a bowl at home. Yeah, exactly. And he had two of them and they were in separate bowls. Mm -hmm. And it was and I talked to each of them. And it was so funny because he was like, Oh, my gosh, I like everything you're saying, like, I felt like that's what their personality was like, but I didn't know for sure. I thought I was projecting it, you know, like, but, um, you know, you would think that's a little fish. How do we have anything in common? But You know, it was like talking about the kind of personality, what their essence was like, you know, the different things that they enjoy in their environment, what they want to stay the same or change. And it was like, I remember one of them was like really, like really spry and like peppy. And the other one was a little more chill and laid back. (laughs) And he's like, that's exactly what I observe in them. That's so weird. (laughs) I thought I made it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were super popular pets when I was growing up to have one of those fish. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're always told to keep them separate because they're fighter fish. If you put them in with other fish, they'll attack. Mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting reading. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was fun. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. Do you find, you know, now people are becoming more aware of the animals in their everyday life. So if they go outside to eat lunch and a butterfly flies by or a beetle crawls up on the table or they see a dragonfly, people are becoming really hyper aware of everything they're seeing. Are they overanalyzing or is there something there that they should be aware of? I'm freaking out because you literally, I had this huge spiritual transformation moment where I was about to go on a hike. I was sitting in my car and I heard my spirit guides tell me, butterfly, dragonfly, beetle. And you named those three. And I remember, and so, and I've told it on my podcast before, so you can fact check this. This is how, this is Whitney's psychic abilities. You literally said them. I was like, if she says beetle, I'm going to freak out. (laughs) And this wasn't a question I wrote down to ask you ahead of time. This just like dropped in. And I was like, oh, I think I need to ask her. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, spoiler alert to your question. No. I mean, yes, they could be. Of course, we could be 
making meaning of it that is not helpful. But the thing is that animals are open vessels for divine. They are, that means, and they're, they're operating in the, in the field of synchrony. And divine can just come and move them mm-hmm. where they, you know, can be moved, you know, to, to enhance their experience and our experience. And when I had that, you know, got out of my car and I heard the butterfly, dragonfly, beetle. And I, for a moment, I almost rejected it. I was like, that's too many signs. I don't deserve those signs. And they're like, hey, <laughs> go for it. Go listen. And they all showed up. And when I saw the beetle, the third and third thing, I just like was weeping. I was so like, just so blessed feeling how blessed that I am. And so the thing is, it actually, you know, we were talking maybe we're going to talk about hypnotherapy mm-hmm. with um, what we, ha- what the way that we think the balance, if we can think about like spiritual and grounding or astral and grounding, we need both. If you think mm-hmm. of subconscious mind and conscious mind. And so there is empirical thinking, which is evidential thinking, you know, it's logical. It's, it's, it's something that is like science is empirical, there is proof, there is repeatable evidence that many people can experience together. And that's important. We need that. Obviously, we need that for medicine. And that's a part of our life that we need. We need the logical thinking as well. And then there's hermeneutical thinking, which is making meaning of things. And don't we need that as well? We just need to know when we're doing which kind and to have that be balanced. Because if we're doing hermeneutical thinking and it is helping us, it's lifting our mood, it's helping us to feel like we're not alone. It's giving us some kind of expanded experience and we can feel that it is it is making us better. Maybe it's making us a better steward of mankind and nature if we're connecting with a butterfly. That's Then that's good. And that meaning that we're making, if we allow ourselves to do that, I experience, I don't like to say believe, I've just experienced it, that the butterfly is co-creating that with us. And I have a really amazing butterfly story too. <laughs> I don't know how many we want to get into though. <laughs> Feel free to share. Well, I was on, this is a totally different um, experience than the butterfly, beetle, and dragonfly one. And I was on one of my favorite hikes, and I, I, there's this corner that you kind of turn, and people all love it because it's got like this felled branch that people make a bench out of. And I call it the butterfly bend because there's just tons of butterflies. They're, they're in the trees there. There must be the really, you know, the nice environment for them. And so I, I sat on the the branch, the little, you know, bench that we've we've put from this felled branch and this butterfly came and landed right before me and so i i must have been in an altered state anyway hiking and being in nature is very meditative and that's what we do in order to connect with the realms of psychism or the telepathic realms is to alter you know and so i felt this can i felt like this like connection this merging and resonance with the butterfly and so since I felt that kind of spiritual transformation into this space with the butterfly, I asked the butterfly, do you have a message for me? And the, the response came back to me. I did not expect it at all. The butterfly said, well, do you have a message for me? It was almost like, how rude. <laughs> Why would you expect I have to give you a message? But it was this perspective shift that it offered me like, well, but do you have a message for me? Like, why don't you go first? And it was really beautiful, too, because it made me feel like equal. You know, he was like equalizing. Yeah. That was a totally unexpected response from the butterfly. Exactly. So that feels evidential to me. It's obviously a personal evidence, but 
So I, I kind of, oh, okay, well, um, I guess I really appreciate that, you know, where I used to be and where I am now, I, I appreciate the, the, the growth that I've experienced. And um, I don't regret so much that how I, how I used to be, you know, less evolved. And this word regret, he was kind of like, what does regret mean? And he didn't understand it. And so I was like, oh, well, regret is like, uh, I did something and I, d- and I'm, I don't, I wish I didn't do it. And I was like, and I was kind of asking, like, you don't have regret? And he's like, well, no, I flap my wings and it's just a part of the dance. There isn't any way to regret it because it's all just moving together. But he was getting some whole, by the way, at the time, I didn't think about the butterfly flaps its wing and, you know, that whole, <laughs> par- you know, parable that we have. And I was like, he's like, oh, should I have regret? He was like asking me and he felt young and he's like, should I have regret? And then another butterfly came and sat next to him and he joined and his energy felt like an elder. And he said, he said there, he said, no one, no one is to regret anything, but it's all about growth. And, you know, even though this human is having the experience of regret, it's actually an illusion because this human will understand that she's a part of the dance as well at some point. And it's just kind of like, I was like, whoa. I mean, so <laughs> this, that's a, a nature. That meant something to me. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a darling children's book. I hope you write it. It would be absolutely I, I have. Oh, good, good. I have. It's darling. <laughs> Again, look how psychic you are. <laughs> I have, I have. It's not published. I have three children's books that, that have to do with experiences that I've had. Well, one with Maury the tortoise. That's the tortoise I told you about. One with a tree and one with the two butterflies. And uh, so thank you for saying that. I'm encouraged. At some point, it's going to, it's been gestating for like, five years yeah and they're actually illustrated too i just haven't like moved it to the publishing part <laughs> so thank you there's your confirmation now it's time it's time and you're a manifester so you gotta you <laughs> manifest like you gotta get to it right <laughs> yeah you just gotta get it done um and that's mm-hmm. so that's so interesting you say that um yeah just go forth and get it done mm-hmm. yeah thank you i appreciate that so when along this journey of working as a medium, did you decide you needed to tap into hypnotherapy? And that was another skill you well, needed added. Well, it's interesting because I was looking into it for probably two or three years, like from the beginning even. But And I bought like a Udemy course and it didn't feel right. And so then it was like, I don't know, just, by the way, meditation is hypnosis. It falls under the umbrella of hypnosis. So when someone is guiding a meditation, they're actually hypnotizing you. They're just maybe not using more advanced hypnotherapeutic tools and skills, but it is still altering a person with your guidance. And, you know, I mean, hypnotherapy involves specifically being able to intentionally work with the subconscious mind to shift beliefs and habits and, you know, the way that things are. So we use suggestions. I mean, I would say we also self-hypnotize. And when we give ourselves affirmations, mm-hmm. those are hypnotic suggestions too. So there's different ways that we are are all actually using hypnosis. Or, but as a hypnotherapist, that that like moment that came, I had someone on my podcast who was a hypnotherapist, and she was talking about HMI, HMI, and I was like, "What's HMI?" And she's like, "Oh, it's HMI College of Hypnotherapy. It's just over." She was in studio. She's like, it's just here in the valley. We're in Los Angeles. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, I've seen the sign. You've seen it? Have you seen it? <laughs> Driving through the valley in, in LA. I have seen the school for acupuncture. That's off. Oh, uh, okay. That's, you know, right on the main strip in the valley. Is it Ventura Boulevard? Mm-hmm. Okay. But I haven't yes, seen Ventura. Yeah. I'll probably notice it now. Yeah, it's on the 101 in Tarzana is where it's located. And it was so funny when she said that. It was like, oh, because they have actually have a freeway sign saying, next exit, HMI College of Hypnotherapy. I've seen and it. Yes. Yes, okay. As you're <laughs> when you're going north. Passes. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it was so funny when she said that. It was like, I can't believe I've seen that sign a hundred or more times. And I've been looking online for it. And somehow the place that's 10 miles from my house was obscured from my awareness until the time was right. And the time was perfectly right. So I like signed up for HMI. That was back in 2019 is when I went to my first year of HMI. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I've always been interested in Mm -hmm. hypnosis. I remember being a teenager under like somehow being exposed to it and understanding it, like having an intuitive understanding. It's probably I have a past life of being a hypnotherapist. I mean, it's been around it's very ancient. It's like it's been around since Sumerian times. It's oh, very right. old. And so I, I never I even remember I remember in high school, some a stage hypnotist came and like hypnotized people so they couldn't get off their chair and stuff. And I remember thinking, well, that's that's one thing that can happen with hypnosis with some people. But that's not what hypnotherapy is. And that's not what hip, real hypnosis is. I knew it was a thing that can happen. Yeah. But so I never like some people are, don't understand it or they think it's like mind reading and all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's always been something that I've felt an urge and a call to. So yeah, that's how the moment showed up. And man, I, I ate it up with a spoon. They actually hired me bef- tech, before I actually graduated. I was hired as a teacher. <laughs> yeah. What so, a compliment. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. you doing hypnotherapy, is that working with the subconscious mind or is it working with a different part of the mind that I'm unaware of? No, it works with the subconscious mind. And so essentially the way our mind is that we have the conscious mind, which is the part of the mind that is responsible for logic, analysis, willpower, decision making. And so it, it really is, you can think of that as left brain. That's what it, it, it kind of cor- correlates to thinking of left brain, right brain. But the, that part of the mind really only has information about what has already occurred. Mm-hmm. It tries to predict the future, but you know, that's what it does. It sorts and sifts facts. And we need that, obviously, because we need to know if I have, if it's on empty and it says I have five miles left, but I have 15 miles to go, I need to stop at the gas station. (laughs) We need that logic. (laughs) And uh, for other reasons, too. And then there's a layer that separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind, which is, by the way, the subconscious mind is in the body. It's from below the neck. And so that's why when we need to drop into our intuition, we dropped into the body. And our body is you know, what is communicating that. And the, but that layer between conscious and subconscious is what's called the critical mind. And it's like a filter because the subconscious mind, the matrix of it, if you will, all of the beliefs that we have that we're holding in our subconscious, we we're born with a blank slate, obviously. Babies don't have, they don't have any logic. They don't have any, I mean, and the way that we are able to create some sort of, even to create the conscious mind, but we create by known associations, by mm-hmm. something happens, okay, it gets now coded in my in my mind that is being built. 
And between the ages of zero and eight, that's when the biggest amount of that coding happens. And then it kind of matures. You know, it's like now if I'm eating cookies after work, after a stressful day, that's a mature version of mom giving me a cookie because I skinned my knee, you know, and she wanted to give me comfort. That's where, and God bless all the moms who did that. I understand why we, <laughs> we want to change their mood and everything. But those associations are made. They just get, they get pictured into our life in more mature ways. And, but that critical mind is filtering out. When we get something new, if you can imagine a new thought, a new, uh, you know, what we want to be a new habit, it comes into the conscious mind and we think, I'm going to start exercising. Mm -hmm. Things can only stay in the conscious mind a total of 90 minutes, but even after 30 minutes, it starts to distort. And then it, it gets bounced off the, the critical mind because all of the things we have in our subconscious mind that we have associated with as survival, it needs to be protected. That's what is going on with our mind. And so the way that we actually are able to make any changes, we're able to bypass the critical mind and get in there and make those new known associations with our positive, what we call suggestions in hypnosis or affirmations do that. And so we have to make a, an opening there. And that's how things change. And I'll, I'm so bold as to say, that's how we change anything ever. Somehow you accessed your subconscious mind. And that's how you're able to get your 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 subconscious mind to permit something new. Because the subconscious mind will get what it needs and what it believes. And it just will. If you, this is why it's like, well, one of my teachers at school, she had twin boys. And then when they were toddlers, then she had a baby girl. Mm -hmm. And she said she swears that the the first words that the boys said, you know, together, like coherently was put the baby down <laughs> because <laughs> twin boys. So there's a lot. And she was yeah. having such a hard time finding out how to get enough time to bond with her baby girl. So wouldn't you know it? She developed some kind of illness that made her bedridden. And so she had to call in help. And she spent that time with her baby girl bonding. And her subconscious mind got what she needed, time to be able to spend with her baby girl to bond. Now, it, it, would that she could have done it without the pain, of course, but that's how it happens. And she says, that, so from now on, her daughter's like 30 or something like that. Every single day, I connect with her and I have special bonding time with her. And so that's one way, that's one beautiful story that's not mine that I just love so much. So... One thing that people can do to basically work hypnosis themselves, I've been talked about affirmations, if you meditate and get yourself altered and, you know, feeling more open and receptive, then you can ruminate, you can give yourself those positive affirmations and you have to feel them because remember, it's in the body. So we want a positive feeling about them. Also, we actually move into hypnosis to go to sleep and we're in hypnosis when we come out of sleep. It's called hypnagogic and hypnopompic. Those states are hypnotic. So if we give ourselves affirmations as we go to sleep or as we wake up in the morning to set the day or that's when we do our meditation, that will really make big changes in your life. That's why they always suggest meditating first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yes. And because in the morning, when we go to sleep, we disconnect from the conscious mind. I mean, our bodies, we actually, our consciousness really... Um, pulls out of the 3D experience. I mean, the body is paralyzed for part of the time that we're asleep and everything. And so we actually stop all of the thoughts, all of the learned thoughts. So when we wake up, it takes some time for the momentum of yesterday's thoughts to start. It's like mm -hmm. we, they say we think 95% of, of the thoughts we thought yesterday, we think today. 
So if we can get in there before that engine starts and create some new thoughts or, you know, really direct it, then yeah, again, that will really help our lives before we pick up the phone. Yeah. And that's how we stop living in the past because we make sure we start Mm -hmm. right away with new thought patterns. Mm-hmm. And what the what the mind does, we have a negativity bias. Our mind has a negativity bias. That's what it. That's the primal response to life. That what is bad, I have to pay attention to, and that's not really how we live. You know what I mean? Like that's not effective. So it's looking at the past and remembering the bad things, and then it goes, "What if that happens again?" And it tries to predict the future, and then it does, <laughs> and then it creates it. <laughs> So we need we want to get in there and give it the positive, um, even if you're so that's why we envision positively. We're trying to tell our mind it's okay to predict this future and then our body will follow suit. Now, a lot of people have used hypnotherapy to stop bad habits. So I know mm-hmm. in the early 90s, my grandma used hypnotherapy to stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Are there what are some of the other ways people use hypnotherapy? Everything you can think of. So, well, first of all, I'll give you a case uh, from my own practice. I had a client, and she shared this on my podcast. So, uh, even though I'm not going to say her name, I have permission to share her story. So, um, a woman in her early 30s, and she had this diagnosis that was so difficult. It was it's called spondylar arthritis, which is like a globalized arthritis, like her whole body, all of these different areas. It started like in her shoulders. And she was a a healthy woman too, like very healthy, young, fit, you know. And then like it got so bad she could barely walk. She couldn't chew because her jaw was one of the things that was really sore. She was on a liquid diet, losing weight, and she had a newborn that she couldn't be alone with because she couldn't pick up her daughter. So her parents or her or her husband had to put her daughter in her arms to breastfeed. And so she could never be alone with her daughter. And she it was, can you imagine being like 33 years old and having this happen to you? She had a genetic marker for it. Oh, so um, path, pathology on pathology. This is what she thought her life was going to be. We started working together. We also used human design, which was very helpful for her, which helps us to understand how to use our energy. But it was really, it was hypno, it was the hypnotherapy and um, she, at about six months, like probably 60% improvement, she could pick up her daughter. At 10 months, she was she had to actually go on a really strong biologic medicine that was not only expensive, but it was very invasive. And she had to stop breastfeeding her daughter. For, it was like this whole thing that was like, really, she didn't want to do it. Yeah. But we got her to a place where in a session where she's like, she was fine if that decision had to be made. And so that was really great. That was a big crowning piece. Even though she'd had all of this stuff, she still was meant to go because she had damage happening. Her tissues and her bones were being damaged from this inflammation that she had. So she went to the doctor to get trained on this new medicine. And the doctor assessed her and said, I don't know what you've been doing, but you have reversed the damage that I saw before. And I'm going to call you non-active disease. You don't need to take this medicine. Wow. That's so huge. huge. And she actually ended up going to HMI. <laughs> to get, she's going to get her hypnotherapist. She's become a hypnotherapist herself, too. Um, so, yeah, that was huge. And it's been a year or maybe a year and a half. And it's maintained. She hasn't had any. And she's had like where she's like, OK, I overdid it. I may be getting a little flare. And then she just mm. doesn't do too much that day, and she's fine. So 
it's been really incredible. Um, but, you know, it's really effective. You would think um, allergies, we think those are just kind of like, that's how we are. It's really? very effective on allergies. Yeah. Isn't that, fa- I find that fascinating too, right? <laughs> that is huge. Huge. Yeah. I will be it's sending very this effective. podcast episode to tons of people. Okay. That <laughs> is amazing. Why is it so supportive for allergies? Is it, and are we talking about seasonal allergies or food allergies? Any. I mean, there are some things that they're, 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 you have an allergic reaction to it. You have an inflammatory response to it because it isn't right for you. You know what I mean? Like I'm gluten intolerant. Actually, I think I tested celiac last time, but you know, that is a food that really humans aren't, we don't have enzymes to break down gluten. We don't, we just kind of pass it. And so it isn't correct for me. So there are some things that just aren't correct for us. You know what I mean? Like that's a, there's something that is a bit more hardwired, and it won't make it will not support our health to take it. You know what I mean? But yes, food allergies. It's it's worked on food allergies. It works on um, if you think about it, like histamines. Mm-hmm. It's encoding something as though it is a poison. Mm-hmm. So if it isn't actually a poison for us, then we can tell our our mind, tell our body, it doesn't have to register that as a poison. But if it Got is it. a poison for us, yes, yeah. Then it's, I think that the subconscious mind, I mean, it's just the body, the tissue is not going to be able to make that transformation. How, so if someone's having yeah. a problem with seasonal allergies, when something blooms mm-hmm. or there's a change in season, mm-hmm. something's blowing in the air in the area that they're currently living in, and they're having that histamine response, tons of inflammation in the eyes and the face, that scratchy throat. How many sessions, hypnotherapy sessions, do people often have to have to clear that up? Well, of course, there's nothing set in stone about that. I mean, there are some people who stop smoking in one session, but there is some kind of magic about six sessions. Mm-hmm. A lot, Like that is a standard. Six sessions can really change someone's life. Now, the thing is, the reason it's not set in stone is because let's say the reason this person has allergies is because their subconscious mind actually feels like they need to move, that they shouldn't mm-hmm. live there. You know what I mean? Then we may be getting into some root issues that are about why they they aren't moving when they like they really moving would be best for them. We might need to get under some things about inner child stuff. You know what I mean? It might take a little more time because it's a bit more complex than just, oh, my body is encoding this as a poison. You know, there could be some deeper issues. But I'll just tell you that six sessions is um, some kind of magic number. And it's, it's funny. Hypnotherapists, I teach marketing at the hypnotherapy college. Because we need to be on our marketing because we, we lose our clients. We, we've, they go on, and that's great. <laughs> we, we love that. Yes, yes. You need to know how to get you new can't clients keep, because yeah. you heal them. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's a wonderful problem if you think about it. Yeah. You know, I have longstanding clients, but they, it's like after they go through a certain big bulk, they see me once or twice or three times or maybe, maybe at most it's like two or three times, like every other month is the most I would have someone. And that's someone who's on like a spiritual path where they really want to keep advancing. You know what I mean? And they'll show up at the session. I'm like, oh, so what are we, what, what's going on? What are we working on? And they're like, everything's great. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, we're complete. <laughs> what are we working on? And they like, you know, they want to do some big spiritual expansion. That's where they are. They're mm-hmm. living, they're in this place of living as their higher self. Yeah. The personal life is really, is really blossoming and it's working and so they're like you know just trying to work on and having their higher self live out to their personal life and that's where they are and that's wonderful of course i love that work as well so 
Well, but you, yeah, had, so to, you have a great quote on your website, and I wanted to share it, um, that psychoanalysis can be expected to have a 38% recovery rate after approximately 600 sessions, and hypnotherapy can be expected to have a 93% recovery rate after an average of six sessions. Exactly. Wow, right? I mean, even just say six to six to 600 is huge, but 93 to 38, huge. So, and the thing is, some some psychoanalysts, well, I shouldn't say psychoanalysts, that's a specific classical form of therapy, but some um, therapists, licensed therapists, they use hypnosis Mm -hmm. for that reason, like transpersonal therapists and um, mind-body therapists, and they're using that because, and somatic therapists, that's another way, basically, they're all working in the similar place, but um, yeah, hypnotherapists, we have that we have that good problem of of uh, breaking up with our clients, <laughs> not breaking up, but <laughs> sending them on their way. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you've read that book by that famous psychotherapist, now hypnotherapist, who was who's the one that really started to step out and talk about past lives because he was working on a client and doing hypnotherapy with them, and they dropped into a past life. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Weiss, I think. Yes, uh, is it Brian yes. Weiss? Yes, yeah. yeah. Am I getting the first name right? But yes, I have. I don't know. I'm 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 missing the name too. But it is Weiss is his yes. last name. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Have you had any yes. clients right past lives? Well, I actually guide past life, um, you know, therapy, and um, so people come to. I mean, I'm the transpersonal hypnotherapist, which is another way to say spiritual hypnotherapist. I'm a spiritual teacher, and I'm a, you know, I'm a psychic and everything. So people come to me for those experiences. So it's not happened. Oh, maybe one time it did happen accidentally, not accidentally. It happened. I we weren't specifically designing the session for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering just one where we were just doing a regular journey, but she was clearly in a different life and a, a whole different experience. And she was in that life with her guardian angel. And and it was. Yeah. So that did happen spontaneously. That's a better way to say it. That's where her soul wanted to take that particular but yeah it's something that I so I do when I do past life regression I do it as a package if it's more than one session unless I've already been working with you but the reason is because we'll do uh, we'll go we'll do a past life and if it's someone's first time mm-hmm. they they'll get one kind of life that's very you know it's useful for this life the second one might we go a little further and we go like um, we go into like life between lives and we actually Ooh. see what's going on in between yeah. And then another session, we go to probably some other kinds of origins. If they're a star seed, then we'll go to another planet and see what it is that they were doing there. But we do the life between life is so fascinating because they'll be in that place where they are choosing how they're going to compose this life and what time space they want to put it in and for that greatest evolution and who is there helping them to you know, counsel them on how to create this new life. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, where yeah. and how can people book sessions with you? Because I'm sure people are going to be listening to this and there's all sorts of things that they want to clear up and clear out in their life. So how can they get in touch with you? <laughs> well, my, my name is spelled T-R-I-C-I-A-C-A-R-R. And then it's just the word charm at the end of it. Because my podcast is called Charmed Life, but it's charm without the E-D at the end of it. So Trisha Carr Charm. And, you know, there's services there. I, I'm regularly teaching classes in animal communication and mediumship. And then, yeah, I do one-on-one. And I actually have a few different learning containers. One is just like 
a couple of them are just kind of beautiful. One's for empaths and one is for, um, you know, building a meditation practice and your intuition. And there's some Mm -hmm. human design in that. Yeah. But yeah, just my website. You'll see all that's going on there. Perfect. And I'll have in the show notes a link to your website there for everyone that's listening, as well as a link to your podcast in case they want to tune in to more conversations like this. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. I learned so much, which is you know, exactly what I wanted to, to dive into these topics. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come in here. Oh, thank you so much for all of the work you're doing on our beautiful world. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the High Vibration Living Podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are tuning in from to help more listeners like and find this podcast. And if you really loved what you heard today, pay it forward and send this episode to a friend or loved one. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. You can find me and follow along on my chef adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Thanks again for tuning in. Cheers to you and your health. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.